Guys, welcome to Real Talk with Keith Smith. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in downtown Charlottesville, and it's truly, truly a pleasure to connect with you. Today's guest, which we will get on the line, is a lady that needs absolutely no introduction. Dr. Lisa Sturdivant will join us on this show in a matter of 20 seconds. You, the viewer and listener, can chime in with thoughts, perspective, questions, and just ask where the market is going. We encourage you, the viewer and listener, to like and share the show anywhere you are watching. Johnny Arnalis, thank you for doing just that. And if you have a question, put them in the feed, and we will ask them live on air. Judah, let's go to the studio camera and then the three shot, and let's welcome Keith Smith and Woody Fincham to the program as I get Dr. Sturvant on the line. Good morning, everybody. Um, uh, Lisa probably won't say this, but um, in my opinion, she is the premier economist in the real estate space in the nation. And I'm just uh, fortunate to be able to chat with her and have Woody Lisa. to my right and Jerry and everybody. So uh, we're going to ask some questions. We're doing this over the phone line. Uh, yes, actually, iPhones can be used to make phone calls. Who knew that this was even possible? <laughs> and Lisa is on the line. Lisa, good morning, and thank you kindly for joining us on Real Talk this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's absolutely our pleasure. Keith Smith and Woody Fitch, I'm quite excited. Keith Smith, why don't we uh, get rocking and rolling? Well, first and foremost, for the six or seven people in the world who don't know you, why don't you go introduce yourself real quick, Lisa, and uh, then we'll kick it off from there. Yeah, no, that sounds great, and uh, you're, you're always so kind. Um, and Keith, it's so great to be with you this morning. I know we had a chance to work together. I was formerly a chief economist with Virginia Realtors. I am now, for the last year and a half, a chief economist with Bright MLS. Uh, as many may know, Bright uh, is the, one of the largest MLSs in the country. We actually cover an area from New Jersey down into central uh, Virginia. We actually have a, a data share um, agreement with CAR, and so... Always delighted to uh, chat with you and uh, with one of Bright's partners. Well, I'm going to introduce uh, Woody here real quick, who's sitting to my right. So, Woody, would you do me a favor and introduce yourself real quick? Uh, Woody Fincham with Fincham & Associates. We're uh, Central Virginia's uh, located um, uh, real estate appraisal firm. Do a little bit of commercial, mostly residential. And uh, I'm super excited to be here because Dr. Sturdivant's here and uh, – been a long-time fan, so yeah, we're 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 kind of geeking out a little bit over here. You can't see that, so we're totally geek, geek, geeking geeking out. So um, I, I kind of want to kick off a little bit with the presentation you gave at the RAS Media uh, CEO event. Uh, I guess it was almost a month ago, um, and and you kind of. Uh, did a great job of kind of outlying or outlaying a little bit of kind of where we came, where we are, and where you think we're going. So I'm going to let you kick in real quick and kind of share that a little bit with everybody, and then we'll jump in with a couple of questions. Yeah, Keith, I'm happy to. It's funny, in a month, a lot has happened, right? We've seen, um, you know, a lot of what I was talking about at, uh, at Riz had to do with how the government's response to the pandemic is really... Uh, created this very long-lasting impact on the housing market. And one, one thing in particular is, you know, the fact that uh, monetary policy, which brought uh, federal funds rate down to close to zero, brought mortgage rates down to a historic low, uh, drew in a lot of buyers. Uh, I know in the Charlottesville area in particular, one of the hottest markets during the pandemic, as people had increased savings, uh, rock-bottom mortgage rates, the desire for more space, we had 14 million homeowners refinance as those rates were low. But then 
uh, in a sort of a whiplash move uh, in response to rising inflation. We saw the Federal Reserve uh, quickly raise rates. We saw the fastest increase in mortgage rates in four decades. And now, according to Freddie Mac, last week, the average rate on a third year fixed is about seven and a half percent. And so what we've seen is that the market is just, you know, kind of uh, in a contraction mode where this an interest rate environment has shut down both, uh, has slowed uh, buyers and sellers at the same time. You know, buyers have been maybe surprisingly resilient over the last couple of years as uh, the market has continued to march forward and home prices in most markets have continued to rise. But I do think we're sort of at a pivotal point right now as we head into the fall where uh, rates of seven and a half percent might just be, uh, you know, too much. And people are going to cry uncle. Uh, the holidays are coming. People are sort of slowing down anyway. Um, and I think we may be seeing a little bit of a, a turning point in the market. But we do know, and I'll end with this, as we move forward into 2024, inventory is going to remain limited. Uh, supply is still so low. Uh, supply is in some ways locked down by these mortgage rates that escalated so quickly. And so even if the market does contract as we head into Q4 and into 2024, I don't expect prices to drop. I don't expect there to be a major price correction, rather than just a a contraction on both sides of the market uh, as we work our way through um, this transition period. So I I like to use the term uh, not, uh, prices are going to decelerate, not de- not de-inflate. In other words, not go go down. I think you're going to see them slow down. But back on this uh, interest rate versus sales price, and we're going to, Woody and I are going to tackle this on the local market once we wrap up our conversation. But I was just looking at in Charlottesville uh, market last quarter in 2022 versus this quarter, we're up about 20, we're down about 24% in sales, but we're up about 8%. And that was at roughly, at the end of that corner, we were roughly at 7.31. So are you seeing, you know, the, the, the 8% going to slow the market down or this price point's just going to keep on climbing? I, I've been doing this for right. three, three and a half decades. There's a couple of things that are in this market condition that we've never seen before. And 3% is, is the key one, this lock-in effect. I don't think we've ever seen this. So I wonder if you can expand a little bit on why you think if we hit 8%, um, we're going to slow things down a little bit as far as valuation goes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you are absolutely right. This is a, an unprecedented market. And, and I'll be curious to hear what you and Woody are thinking as you look at the local market. I'm of the belief that... Uh, if mortgage rates hit 8%, which I think is frankly increasingly likely, um, at the beginning of this year, I think many of us thought we were going to see mortgage rates down to about 6% by the end of the year, but it feels like 8% is more likely than, well, certainly more likely than 6 at this point. And I think there's two reasons why I think we're going to see a contraction in the market in a, a pivot, right? We've been like, to something that sort of uh, takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails of this surprisingly resilient market. And, and the first is the fact that, you know, for many people, the, the numbers simply aren't going to work anymore at 8% with home prices rising, still rising as quickly as they are. And and for those for whom the, the numbers don't work to buy, rental options are becoming more affordable in many markets. We're seeing in, in Northern Virginia in particular, we're seeing a lot of new rental construction coming online, 
rents falling, um, the Lord's offering all sorts of concessions. And so I think we are going to see, for first-time buyers in particular, are going to find that 8% is just, just not doable. But then second, uh, look, buying a home, selling a home, big financial decisions, also super emotional and psychological. And we saw last year when rates hit, did hit over 7%, everyone just stopped in their tracks last November. And I think it was more psychological than than financial. And I think we may see the same kind of reaction this fall if we if we see that eight percent threshold, uh, uh, you know, met. People may just decide um, that even if the numbers did work, that there's no way they want to pay eight percent, and they're just going to sit it out, ride out the holidays, and then come back in the market in 2024. So again, I'm expecting that we're going to have. Nationally, home sales below 4.2 million for the year, which is going to be the lowest since 2010, and I think it is all due to this mortgage rate environment we're in. Lisa, with the um, all the intelligence you've got on the market, um, are you seeing any any forecast? Or can you give a forecast on what you think the foreclosure and REO market's going to be doing over the next six months? Yeah, I think um, I, I I think that we're going to see. Uh, in foreclosure and short sale activity, and I think it's going to be overblown reported in the media. I think we're going to see uh, headlines like the foreclosure rate has doubled, um, and while that may be true, we'll have doubled from the lowest rate on record, right. uh, basically. I do think we are seeing in our data that while foreclosures and short sales are not going to be a widespread uh, issue in the inventory, there are some pockets where we're starting to see um, – uh, neighborhoods where people's financial situations are a little bit more fragile. Uh, but when we are seeing foreclosures and short sales coming on, we're still seeing a lot of ready buyers, and we're not seeing uh, that be an issue that's going to contribute to inventory in any significant way. Now, if we go into some major economic recession next year, which is very light, unlikely, unlikely at this point, you know, the situation could change. But right now, with homeowners having record levels of equity in their homes, with the labor market still relatively resilient, uh, foreclosures, in my mind, don't seem like a big issue in general. There may be pockets where we are seeing uh, more homeowners stressed out. The, re- the reason I'm asking the question is because the last time we were at an interest level uh, rate level where we are now, you know, HUD two or three K loans and home style loans from Fannie were very popular. It gives uh, folks who are looking for something they can buy and fix up, uh, get it at a discount, and then you know they're able to get in. A lot of first-time home buyers were doing that type of thing, and folks that are trying to transition into a larger property. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of hoping that um, we start seeing a little bit of that because it, it will help for folks that are trying to get into that into that home. Yeah. Yeah, if I could just say too, and we, you know, we've been seeing that, um, as we all know, that you know, the demand for home ownership is is so strong, and and there's um, so many benefits associated with buying a home. We're seeing that home buyers are being a little bit, having to be a little more creative. Um, we, mm-hmm. We're finding the value of real estate professionals, including real estate agents and appraisers. Um, the value of these real estate professionals is even higher now than it's ever been. Um, and we are seeing first-time buyers who are, you know, buying with their parents or trying to find a home, maybe that's a fixer-upper, or maybe a home where they can rent out part of it in order to take a little bit of the edge off of the monthly payment. Um, and we are in Virginia also tracking, um, you know, particularly in Virginia, um, assumable mortgages in the VA product, seeing if that is an, a place in which buyers can get into the market. Yeah, assumable mortgages is something that's starting to creep back up into the market, but the volume of 
of VA mortgages versus, you know, the overall market is pretty small. I mean, look, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, I think, and I've been saying this for quite some time, um, I think this inventory crunch that we are in, I, I, I prefer the word crisis, um, I think we're five to ten years out before we start seeing anything on the other side of that, probably yeah. closer to ten years. W- would yeah. you agree or disagree with that, Lisa? Yeah, I I, I 100% agree, and I, you know I feel like the inventory crisis, and I think that is the right word, uh, Keith. The inf- inventory crisis is a long time coming. Uh, we know in the Charlottesville area, like in many other places, we haven't been building enough housing to keep up with demand. We also know over the last 10 years that demographics have really um, slowed inventory because, uh, particularly, baby boomers are remaining in their homes much longer than prior generations. And when you put those two things together and then coupled on with the rate lock we find ourselves in after the pandemic, um, I do believe it's going to be until the 2030s, which is a crazy thing to say. 2030 sounds like the future, um, uh, but the 2030s before we see a, a big shift in inventory. Where do you think rates need to fall to for us that have uh, 2.5s, 2.75s that we secured during the pandemic? for us to get out of the golden handcuffs and consider capitalizing on our equity and, and listing our homes again. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as you all know, it is it is such a very personal decision. I you know, I I tell people I bought a home last November, right, when the rates hit seven percent. And I'd like to think I know a little bit about what's going on in the market. So but, you know, life happens. And um, I do think for each individual home order it will be different. But there is a survey out from John Burns Consulting that found that the magic number they say is 5.5%. If mortgage rates fall to 5.5%, people with those sub-3% loans will be enticed to come into the market. But I will say, I don't think we're going to see 5.5%. I honestly don't think we're going to see it next year. Um, and so I think the question people are going to have to ask themselves is, there, are they willing to trade out some of that equity in order to make the move? And and I do think we will start to see more and more people making that decision because um, right now we might be in a market of necessity, people moving only because they have to, but uh, that what counts as a necessity is going to change over the next few months as people's families grow, their financial situations change or jobs change, and we're going to see more people sort of biting the bullet even if rates stay above 6%. I think my crystal ball, Lisa, is saying that uh, I think once it starts going towards 5.5%, I think you're going to see a lot of folks that are on the sidelines jump out because yeah. life life happens and people need to move. Um, yeah. As the uh, elder statesman at this phone call, at this, at this set here at the moment, I remember the 80s uh, housing market. Uh, that tells you how long I've been in this. And I remember when interest rates were double where they are now and prices were still you know home prices were still accelerating not at the pace of eight or ten or twelve percent you know i think you know just the inventory is so low but i've got to ask you a question and this is not an economist question this is a, a you know a relational question is dropping interest rates below you know to that five and a half percent good for the market with this inventory crunch is it going to make a difference question, right? And, and I think, you know, what we, what we know for sure is that the, the pace of price growth that we've seen over the last few years is not sustainable and is not good for the market. It's not good for buyers, for sure. It's not good for sellers either, though, because we need to have, you know, we need to have a, a housing ladder. We need to have people coming up who can, who can make a purchase. And so, you know, we're not going to see interest rates go back to 3% in our lifetimes, I mean, or maybe ever. And given the uh, 
Federal Reserve is offloading its mortgage-backed securities and the fact that uh, the federal debt is so high, uh, interest rates are going to remain in a relatively elevated position, I think, for the time to come. Um, I do think, though, that, that it, there is this – we are – we do adjust our expectations, and I think that's more what we're going to see rather than some big drop in rates. I think people are going to start to accept, you know, that 6% is a great rate, <laughs> and we wouldn't have said that two years ago, but but that's where we're, we're going to head. And I think, Keith, just quickly, your point about this being like the early 80s, I think we are where we are now is much closer to the early 80s than it is to 2008, uh, and you're right, uh, and so I think that's what we should expect. Home prices didn't fall back then. The difference now, of course, is affordability is much, much worse than it was in the early 80s when you look at incomes compared to monthly payments. And so, you know, there's just a set of folks who are just being priced out. And um, and the only way that we are going to help folks get into the market is by increasing their supply. So how are we going to do that, Lisa? Yeah. So, uh, well, there's a few ways. The first way is you can figure out, are there ways to incentivize people who are holding on maybe to a second home or a home that's too big for them to put it on the market. And, and that involves policies related, you know, federal policies related to capital gains. There may be, there may be an angle there. The state, I know Virginia has looked into at one point offering incentives for people who hold a rental property to list it for sale. And uh, if they sell to a first time buyer, get some type of tax incentive. But as you know, at the end of the day, the solution is to build more housing. And in order to build more housing, that requires uh, changes um, in acceptance of new housing at the local level, and that has always been a struggle. I spoke at a conference recently, and the topic of this uh, particular conference was how do you incentivize um, homeowners to capitalize on their equity, even if they're not willing to give up the golden handcuffs, the uh, low interest rate. Um, and there was a number of strategies that were presented um, at this particular conference. I'm not going to go down that road, but where I want to go down is, is do you see homeowners with significant equity and the 2% 2, 2 interest rate, the 3% interest rate, choosing to rent their personal residences and then climb up the ladder or climb down the ladder by buying whatever inventory comes on the market? I think we're going to see less of that, to be honest with you. I think we've been seeing a lot of that, people holding on to their existing home as they have a low mortgage rate and uh, and and renting it out and then buying buying it a, a new place. I think we're going to see less of that for a couple of reasons. I think there's growing economic uh, anxiety and uncertainty, and people are uh, and maybe less willing to keep their money tied up uh, in in a house like that. I think there's also I know some folks have been keeping properties to use as short term rentals, and we've seen the short term rental industry revenue down. We've seen local jurisdictions putting restrictions on short-term rentals. So some the viability of holding properties as a short-term rental have eased. So I think we're going to start to, in fact, in our surveys of our Bright MLS subscribers, we're seeing that the primary source of new listings, uh, like the reasons people sell, it's the family reasons first, but the second reason is people selling their rental or investment or second home and listing that property for sale. Of course, bigger deal on in you know the ocean, in Maryland's and the the coast and in the mountain areas, but still uh, maybe a sign that people are, are beginning to offload some of those second homes and investment homes. You know, Lisa, we're seeing a lot of, uh, my practice does a lot of private work and a lot of uh, mortgage work as well. It's kind of about 50-50. 
And uh, we're seeing quite a few of the small banks who will hold, you know, the really odd kind of loans and portfolio. Uh, there's a lot of investors out there here in Charlottesville, especially, uh, positioning themselves to take advantage of what we're calling upzoning here. And they're with the city council here getting ready to possibly pass this new zoning ordinance. We've got it. We're, I'm, they're hoping that this is going to be something that's going to help, you know, folks trying to get into uh, less less expensive housing. But uh, we're seeing a lot of folks that are really looking to take advantage of it because the revenue streams are so high, particularly with the university. You know, they're yeah. using what we're calling midterm rentals and short-term rentals for, you know, the, the traveling nurses, which is a big part of UVA staffing right now, uh, as it is in most hospitals across the country. But also, uh, you know, just uh, some of the student housing that's going on. And it's, um, it, it's uh, what are you seeing across your, your footprint with Bright? Uh, are you seeing similar things? Yeah, it's really interesting that you raised that. I, 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 think, I think it's really that you raised that issue that um, you can increase you can increase the supply of housing by loosening up zoning. And that, that is, that's, that's the first step, but it's, it's the necessary but not the sufficient condition, if I can use it that way. Um, we've seen, you know, Arlington County in Virginia is following Minneapolis's model of um, eliminating single-family zoning mm-hmm. to allow more houses to be built in single-family neighborhoods. But uh, while that increases the supply, it may have the effect of bringing in investors and higher-income residents and still making it challenging for first-time buyers and more modern-income buyers to get in. And so what I've seen as to be most successful is to uh, relax zoning to allow more housing supply while at the same time uh, partnering, uh, having the, the local government or the state government uh, partner with the private sector to offer um, opportunities for first-time buyers. I uh, mentioned this, I've mentioned this before, but I purchased a home through a, a, a first-time homebuyer deed-restricted program in Alexandria, which uh, made it possible through a partnership between the government, the homebuyer, and the developer for uh, for someone of moderate income to get into homeownership. So I think increasing the supply through zoning is really important, but I think you, you've highlighted some of the potential unintended consequences, right, uh, that we always need to be looking at for. So, uh, Lisa, I am part of a, a cohort, national cohort. Um, I think we've had conversations about this before that we're looking at missing middle amongst different jurisdictions. Mo- mostly, it start, this ordinance started out west. Look, and the reality of it is that path, even if it gets adopted here in its present form, and it probably will with the, some tweaks, I'm sure, of it, this is... You know, this is decade. This is not decades. These are tens of years out before it goes ahead and impacts uh, housing af- affordability. Mm-hmm. It'll have it'll have, and what they see out there is a bit of a sh- uh, uptick on expenses. It becomes more costly, and then over time, it kind of fizzles. It will fizzle its way out. So, what's the low hanging fruit? I mean, we have an inventory crisis now, what's, you know, what's the low-hanging fruit outside of zoning changes that, that we as professionals can help our f- sellers and our buyers in today's market? Does that make sense, that question? Yeah, no, I think so. I will, I will say one thing about the, the timing of the missing middle, and I think it's instructive to look at Minneapolis only because, uh, you know, as you all, as you all know, the, a few years ago they put into place yeah. their, their sort of missing middle strategy. If you look at housing inflation across the country, it is lowest in Minneapolis. Now, correlation is not causation, so we don't know that that policy is why um, housing inflation is much lower there than other places. But I think there is a 
something to keep watching that we may not have to wait as long as we think on the on the sort of near-term solutions you know Keith man I wish I could be more optimistic it is going to be very challenging if you're a buyer right now and if you are trying to get in the market I think you know we've been sort of seeing people do creative things looking at uh in neighborhoods they may have not looked at at the beginning partnering up with other people we're seeing um we're seeing a rise in fractional home ownership, this idea of, of people buying homes together when they're not married, but that's very complicated and there's a lot of extra steps that need to happen. And on, on the seller side, I think, um, you know, it's, it's helping sellers get creative, right? If you're in a position where maybe you can travel or you can uh, go stay with your adult children since they stayed with you during the pandemic and, and that would give you the time you need to find your new place and allow you to list your home. Um, I think we're all looking for ways to be a little bit creative in this very unusual market. So um, I'm going to, I've stole a quote from a dear friend of mine, uh, Robert Liberty at Portland State University and University of Washington. Uh, there is no silver bullet for this. There's a silver buckshot. There was no silver bullet that got us into this. Um, there was a silver buckshot. So, you know, everything is on on the table. I, I just think, you know, we, we've got to set expectations um, for our buyers and sellers that, you know, the current situation I think we're in now, we're going to be seeing for a while unless your crystal ball is predicting something otherwise. No, I think I think this is the market. I've described it as nobody's market, right? It's not a buyer's market. It's not a seller's market. Nobody's happy about this market because we're all just sort of we're we're locked in place by a set of policies that had a lot of unintended consequences on the market and frankly we might not be done the federal reserve is meeting two more times this year and i think it's likely they're going to raise rates one more time definitely and they've, they've also indicated uh in september that they're going to keep rates elevated for longer than had it been expected so i think this is the market we've got at least in the short term well, let's call it like it is. They want the housing market to get hurt, and it hasn't gotten hurt so far. And I think they're going to keep on raising interest rates until until there's enough pain out there to Im- impact it. Um, yeah. On that. yeah, and I, I, and I'm, you know, I know nobody asked nobody asked me, right? But um, you know, we know that housing enters into the inflation calculations on a lag, and it's just really possible that we're going to see the Fed overshoot on this interest rate hike. So. Um, because we've already seen rent starting to fall. We've already seen some, you know, some of that. And the only way, as we've talked about, and, and by raising interest rates, it just makes it harder to build new housing, right? Which yep. is the opposite of point. Lisa, um, switching over to, you know, the, uh, how many professionals we have in uh, both on the realtor side and on the appraiser side, I've got several colleagues across the country. Uh, they're in some markets that have impacted pretty heavily, particularly once you get west of the Mississippi, uh, markets like Denver and Oregon and, and California. Um, that I've got, I actually have colleagues that, are, uh, that maybe have had a dozen assignments this year from the mortgage side. And when, you know, their companies are set up to do mostly mortgage work, so some of them are actually looking at, looking at exiting the profession. Um, I know that uh, Bright keeps pretty good uh, stats on what's going on, but what, are you, what is your opinion on what's going to happen with uh, one thing, two things here? One, full service agency, I think, in my personal opinion, is probably going to come back pretty strongly. And two, what, what do you think the attrition is going to look like on, on the realtor side? Yeah, so the second, second thing first, I, I think, um, look, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, and I said it publicly before, so I can say it here, that, you know, there's too many real estate agents. There's too many, we have too many realtors in the market for how many listings and how much, how much transaction activity there is. And I think that um, we're going to see 
attrition for sure um, over the next couple of years. We're going to find that people who came into the industry during the pandemic, um, when when things were uh, so busy and it was relatively easy, um, are going to be put off by the the level of work and level of professionalism that is that is necessary day to day and and be being a real estate agent or broker. So I think we're going to see fewer people in the market. Uh, fewer people working in the industry, for sure. But what I do think is going to happen, given um, you know all the changes that are going on in the industry, there's half a dozen lawsuits going on. There's a lot of uh, uh, rethinking about uh, the role of the realtor and and the transaction in general. I think demonstrating value, particularly as a buyer's agent, is going to be more and more important. And I think we have to rethink about the value that. That, uh, that real estate agents and brokers bring to the consumer, whether that's through full-service offerings or, or, or simply educating uh, fellow agents and uh, consumers about the value that real estate agents bring to the transaction. I think that's going to be a really important uh, kind of angle in the industry next year. Yeah, I, I'm just going to be the one to say it here um, live. Um, our industry this time next year is going to be 180 degrees different than we are today. Um, it's it's on its way. Um, you and I listened to a couple of folks at the CEO conference when when the major companies are starting to prepare for this. I'm actually, and this isn't the show for it, but I'm working on a masterclass topic on that for the, for those of us that are in the industry to help navigate what about is is. I think this is a snowball about ready to turn into an avalanche, and it's going to happen quickly. I may be wrong, but a lot people are a lot smarter than me are are predicting the 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 same. You know, but I will say this just to get this out. I've been doing this since 1987. I've never been more excited about real estate than I am now. I've said this on the show a bunch of times because this is when the pros show up. And uh, we've got a ton of pros in our industry, and they're going to do well. And the people that don't want to keep their education up and, and how to negotiate, I mean, we're going to have to neg- If you're a buyer's agent, pretty soon you're going to have to negotiate for your own commission. And that's going to happen sooner than later. Um, it's an unpleasant topic. Some folks are putting their heads in the sand on it. Um, if you want to touch this topic, great. If you want to move on to something else, uh, that would be great. But um, we're, we're going to be in a different world six to 12 months from now. Yeah, I, I think we are too. And I, Keith, I really appreciate you talking about it. I think it takes folks like you who have been in the industry for a long time, who have a real respect for the professionalism that real estate agents bring. I think it's important that we begin talking about this and, and not not shy away from change. I mean, people don't like change, um, but I think this is a real opportunity to to expand professionalism. Well, I, I can tell you if somebody's above, you know, my needle is past 60, the older you get, change becomes a whole bunch harder. So, yeah. But yeah. but I'm smart enough to know it's coming down the road. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. see the percentage of cash buyers upticking, Lisa? Yeah, I think so. It, uh, it has, um, at least in our market. We have the highest share of cash buyers in the bright MLS footprint um, since I've been tracking it, which is like, I guess we have 20 years of data now. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw that when rates were 2.75%, basically free money, there wasn't a lot of uh, interest in buying cash. But we have seen that about a third of our transactions right now are cash. And that's frankly one reason why the market is still moving as much as it is, at least in our market, um, because we have folks who are sort of not sensitive to interest rates. I think, again, talking a little bit about whether there will be an economic recession and if we do see 
a softening in the economy and people becoming a little bit more uh, conservative, I think we'll see the share of cash buyers ease off a little bit. But right now, it's still at a, a record high share, um, at least in our footprint. So I've just ex- I have a slide for our local market that covers that, uh, which I just asked Judah, our director, to put on. But first quarter in 23, 28.5% of the sales were cash, 55.6% were 30-year fixed, traditional 30-year fixed. Second quarter was 28.3% on cash, 5687 on 30-year fixed, and then the, this recent quarter, we were 27.7 and 56. So we've been hovering around 28% cash and hovering right around 56% 30-year um, fixed uh, for the, at least the first three quarters of this year. And I've been tracking this pretty, pretty hard locally, but it, that's been kind of the trend for the last 12 months, somewhere around a 28-56%. Uh, yep. Split on that. Are you seeing that in your marketplace? Yeah, we're, uh, and like I said, we're you know we're we're around a third uh, bright footprint wide, um, and uh, we're up from about um, you know low twenties you know a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, and so yeah, the the cash share is sort of holding steady in our market at about a third of of sales, which in my mind, frankly, is like kind of blows my mind sometimes. You know, this is true even in the Washington area market, for example, where you know, median home prices around six hundred thousand dollars. So it's relatively expensive market. We're still seeing cash, um, cash coming in really uh, pretty quickly. Well, it's interesting when you dig into the cash numbers. Most of our cash here in our market is pretty much north of five hundred, four five hundred thousand dollars. The the lower level is typically not cash. And I'm working uh, with a, a closure title to try to figure out. You know what? What is the influx of the investor buyer in our marketplace? Because our our Paragon unfortunately doesn't allow me to break that out. So we have to actually dig into the deeds to see. But we're going to be working on that for a future show. Yeah, that's great. Well, keep me posted because I do. I am interested in that as well. We don't have great data on the share of cash buyers that are investors either. But we are seeing a lot. We do know from survey research that some of a big chunk is uh, primary residence buyers buying with cash, at least in our market. Yeah, it's the folks that sold in, in your market, in my mar- our market anyway, your market yeah. or the Northeast market, pocketed a little bit of cash and, and bought and moved on. But I will tell you, um, I built 600 homes in my career, most of them for Yankees that have funny accents like me. Um, <laughs> and almost every single them, one of them were cash and almost really? every single one of them since the 80s until when I got out in the time of great unpleasantness um, with a sale of a property up there that they used to buy down here. So uh, this is not a new phenomenon. And we're still seeing a lot of diligence appraisals uh, on the private side where folks are not getting a mortgage. Uh, but, you know, luxury level and, and, and uh, all the big t- uh, price tickets out here are, are price points, rather, um, folks are still interested in what the market value is because they want to understand their risk position. So it's a, it's, I've never seen a market like this. It's, it is interesting. Lisa, we appreciate your uh, time today. We certainly look forward to maybe catching up in the future with you. Your insight, your perspective, your reputation precedes, uh, precedes you, and, and you've certainly made the program considerably better. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for uh, the chance and um, hope to see you all perhaps in person, maybe, uh, maybe in the spring market. Well, um, we'll talk offline. I'm, I'm going to try to sweet talk you into coming in person a little sooner than that, but uh, I'll see how my negotiating skills goes on, on that. Well, right. You'll be working on those. And um, Woody, it was great to be with you, and, and 
Keith and Jordan. Thanks so much, and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Lisa, thank you so Same much. Here. Have a great day. Take care, you Lisa. Too. Bye-bye. Fantastic interview, boys. Yeah, you know, it, it's um, – look, I'm just flat out honored and flattered that, you know, in my, and I said this in the intro, I consider her, if not the premier, awfully close to the top premier economist. And one of the reasons I love talking to, to Lisa is she's a no BS kind of – She shoots of, it straight. Yeah, no Yeah, BS. there's no, uh, there's no um, salesmanship, rosy-colored glasses, couple of highlights from the interview, straight up said 8% on the horizon. Yeah. Um, also said that, uh, you know, as we've predicted on the program, another rate hike on the near horizon, and that this could be the market into the 2030s um, were some of the takeaways that I had from that. What do you think, Woody? I don't disagree with anything that I've heard. I mean, Lisa's always spot on with her stuff. And, uh, I mean, she's just uh, reiterating, I think, what we've all been saying on the show for a while. And, um, I mean, our new normal is the normal. I mean, I don't think we're going to see anything shifting one way or the other real severely anytime soon. Uh, You know, of course, who knows what's going to happen in three, four, five months. But uh, it'll be interesting as we we get through the winter uh, market and then into the the, the spring market. I think this... You know, this next quarter, when we have this show, the first Monday or whatever of January, Mm -hmm. when we take a look at this third quarter, I think this third quarter is going to be the predictor for us going going forward. It's I think we're, you know, this may be unpopular, but I think inventory and the volume of sales are going to continue to drop. We're at twenty four percent quarter over quarter. Right now, I think you're going to start seeing that dropping and probably leveling, leveling out. But I, I, I've said it before. I think you're going to see somewhere between a 3 to 6% kind of normal year over year, quarter over quarter valuation increase. Um, Do you agree yeah. with that, Woody? Eight to 10,000 new citizens coming in within the next five years to this market. It's something I, we've never seen before. I mean, you're, you're talking about market forces. It's really difficult to forecast. Um, we don't have enough uh, inventory coming online as far as new construction goes. And the folks that are coming in at management level are higher positions. Uh, you know, they can be more competitive usually than most folks in, in, in the median or lower. So it's going to put a lot of stress on the market for sure. Um, will it lengthen out times to three to six months? I, I honestly don't think so, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of hedging towards the side that we're going to remain sh- with a lot of strong demand in our market because of the things you're talking about, you know, with this new schools coming in and everything else, and we got a data center coming in in Louisa. Two uh, of them. Yeah, it's – there's just – Employment drives population. Population drives real estate, residential real estate anyway. So I, I can't see it uh, diminishing any, but, um, but you know, who knows? <laughs> and Bloomberg just highlighted the Charlottesville metro area is number 15 in the nation for uh, remote or hybrid work. A national news outlet telling the world this is 15th in the country for remote or hybrid work. We have an awesome lifestyle community here. I mean, if you're, if you're raising a family or you're just here with your significant other, it's a lovely place to live. I mean, I don't think my wife and I will ever live anywhere else. Uh, I, I know we, we won't, but I, just, to, just for the take of a, sake of a talk show and take a little bit of a, of a pushback on that, right? So <clears throat> bring it, not, Smith. Yeah, not, <laughs> no, so much, not so much a pushback, but let's call it a little bit of reality. The yeah, bottom yeah. line is our inventory isn't going to grow. Right, prices will grow. Yeah, which puts more stress. Which puts more stress. That's why I think the three to six percent increase in valuation year over year is light. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's light. 
We're going to third find out. quarter, according to Carr, Albemarle County was 11 percent year over year. 2023 versus 2022. If we had eight to 10,000 new people with six-figure jobs in the next five years, that is going to put significant demand on limited inventory in this market. So I don't have a slide for it, but while you guys talk, I actually did the math for the third quarter on Albemarle County, and I'll tell you what the third quarter over third quarter is percentage-wise while you guys chat for a moment. Yeah, I mean, with, with that type of stress on uh, inventory, I mean, things are going to absorb almost as soon as they come on the market like they've been doing, unless something changes. I mean, I don't see anything in the, in the calculus right now that would lead me to believe that, you know, we're not going to see almost immediate absorption as long as things are priced reasonably. Now, some of the survey data that I'm getting back from agents as we do, we do our diligence on each of the transactions that we use for our comparables and the sales that we're working on as a firm, uh, we are getting back feedback, um, rather receiving feedback from, from both the buyers and listing agents telling us that, you know, the buyers are starting to get a little more persnickety in the sense that, you know, they want, you know, where condition may not have mattered as much a year ago, it's starting to matter a little bit more. Because they're at their top of their price range. They're playing top yeah, dollar. Yeah, they, they, they want to get themselves into a position where they're not having to shell out a bunch of money for cosmetic remodels as soon as they close. But, um, again, as long as absorption's as fast as it is right now, I don't know that that's really the reality of it's going to change a whole lot. You ready for this number? Is this different from the car report I'm looking at right here? Well, that's not third quarter. Uh, this that's- is... August. Oh, mine's second quarter. Second mine's quarter. second quarter. Yeah, yeah. So you car, got third quarter. So yeah. cars third quarter doesn't come out for several weeks. Gotcha. This is why we're doing these series of shows this this week to do that. I've I've got slides on the full car footprint, but I've got, as everybody knows, all kinds of spreadsheets. I see that that I've done. Is this Almore County only? This is Almore County only. Albemarle County only, single-family detached, no new construction. So everybody who watches the show knows that's what I hone in on because that's how you compare jurisdiction to jurisdiction, right, Right. on that end of it. So the end of the third quarter, the median sales price was $650. The end of the third quarter last year was $550, so that's a 100-grade 18% increase. So between quarter to quarter, it's increased 18%. The volume of sales, though, on the other hand, how much is it? I've got. I got to plug into my trusty spreadsheet I got in front of me. So well, I, I mean, it's, it's supply and demand economics. You have a finite supply; <laughs> it's going to be higher. We're down thirty-one percent. Yeah. And inventory sold. Number of units sold quarter over quarter. No new construction. Single-family detached. We're down thirty-one percent, but we were up eighteen percent. So, to your point, it's it's probably going to be a little bit more pressure. Now, I, you know, I, I've got each, literally, I've got 15 pages of different spreadsheets here. I see that. Here I see that. For, With for the, sheets that are long, too. Yeah, well. Not just the traditional 8 by 11 sheets. I well, like do you, it. Do you know why? Uh, well, because you have a lot of information on that no, paper. No, because Smith ran out of 8 by 11. I, hey, props to you. You know, one of the X factors we're not talking about, which is uh, extremely difficult to predict how this is going to influence um, the real estate market, is the presidential election. Presidential election is less than 13 months away. I honestly don't think that's going to impact our local market. Housing affordability, I think, is going to be a key factor Absolutely, but it's in going to, this presidential election. It's going to be a talking point, but like at most of the talking points between the major parties, it's just a talking point to get the bases fired up. I mean, if, if the executive administration really had an effect on what's going on in housing, Jimmy Carter would have had a second term. That's fair. How, how, they, could have, how they could have an impact is some direct or indirect pressure on the Fed. 
how much? Well, I mean, how much Reddit, control do they really have they on that? Though? The Fed yeah. is, is an, you know, there's, there's totally independent. There's, yeah. there's behind the scenes look, but the reality of it is, most housing uh-huh. is affected by state and local, mostly local. Now we're we're a Dillon rural state, so that means local can't do anything unless the state tells it. So in our right. in our state, you know, if there's going to be an impact. <laughs> from the election side. So local elections and state elections are going to matter. I think at the presidential level, you know, the Fed generally does not have a lot of impact on the local. Uh, it may have some impact. With, Besides the rates. Well, that's that's not the federal government. That's an, a separate entity. Yeah. that is Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve. But yeah. It's not the election. They, they, these folks are not, not elected. You know, they, they could change some of the... Um, Environmental issues, as we know, ninety-four thousand dollars is is attributed to ex- expenses. But uh, I'll let I'll let um, Woody jump in. But we probably ought to tear into our local car market quarter quarter market. What did you, you What you make of her take, Woody, on uh, potentially uh, driving folks to list homes, second homes, uh, with some tweaks to capital gains laws? And also, she, she also, Lisa Servant, made a comment of selling a home to a first-time home buyer with some potential tax advantages being offered. I think that's an interesting idea. I don't know that the Commonwealth would actually go for it. They, they tend to not get too much into that. But uh, it would be an interesting topic. And hopefully our, our, our PACs at the, the, the local realtor associations and, and what have you will, are talking to our legislators about that. I mean, that would t- certainly help the market. So this conversation, because it was the one that was in the room that I was at the CEO events, this is at the federal level, right? So, you know, this would be things like uh, capital gains, right? And and if you and they're going to specifically go after mom and pop rentals, somebody that has one or two or three, and you know offer them the ability um, if they've owned it less than two years or whatever their capital gain scenario is. So that's at the federal level, which I'm highlighting. Correct. Yeah. So so that's low hanging fruit. I mean, that's something that the Fed can do. The state would have to do it on its own for the state tax side of things. But are we really going to get anything done right now with what's going on in Congress? I mean, we've got a mess at the federal level, and do we see any tax incentive bills coming through that mess? No, no. This is a good question from Stephen Peters. What is the average selling price of a property bought with cash versus those bought with mortgages? Oh, I can look that up. Um, If I had to guess, it's going to be north of the median. Uh, um, Amy Lynn giving Woody props, Kara Mitchell, Stephen Roach, Tonia Velas giving uh, Woody Fincham some props. Number of realtors watching the I'm, program. I'm going to do that for Albemarle County where you guys chat. I'll tell you exactly because I can do that. RS Media shared the show. Thank you guys. Um, in awesome. Front of their network of followers. Johnny Ornalis, good morning to you. Um, Woody Fincham, anywhere you want to go? Um, I mean, I, I met, of course, this is all going to be arbitrary data, but I mean, I'm just looking at what's going on in our practice right now. Our volume's definitely down for, for mortgage work, but our private work's up. And there's definitely something going on on the private side because folks are looking at doing uh, you know, the, the 1031 exchanges and things like that. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, we're still having, even at the luxury property level, which is sort of our forte, uh, with our firm, we're still seeing a lot of folks do, wanting to do diligence appraisals because they want to understand the relationship of what they're paying cash for versus their risk position in the market. But are they walking away from the deals or do they just understand it? They want to understand it. Yeah. I think they're willing to take on uh, strategical risk. Yeah. You know? 
I mean, if you want to buy something in a market that's, you know, under the stress that it's in, you've got to be able to offer the seller something that other, anyone can't, other folks can't. So if they want to pay a little bit extra for it or they're able to close faster, which usually happens in these situations, uh, I mean, we're seeing folks that are, they'll close on a property and then do a lease back or even not even give a lease back to the, to the folks so they have a couple of months to do what they need to do in order to get their affairs in order. So. Uh, Samantha writes this comment, we're seeing the property stay on the market longer. Is that due to affordability concerns? And and I was trying to be thoughtful of Lisa's time. I knew that she had another appointment that she needed to go to, but I wrote down the note. I just didn't get to it, so we'll save it for the next meeting. But when we had a conversation with her up in D.C., we were talking about where the neutral market is, right? Mm-hmm. And the neutral market was like six or seven months' worth of inventory. And her and I were having a conversation about it, we think, and, and she, I, she agreed with me via text. It's like three or four months is now the neutral neutral market so you know it's interesting uh, we have a listing um uh, that's been on the market for a week and everybody's like well what's wrong with it and it's not wrong with it it's just the new market and a week is really not a long long time everybody's you know we always talk about you know what what we were doing in the 80s or the 90s or whatever but what's going on in the markets relative to what folks are used to you know when you're used to something absorbing in a day or two and now we're going to a week everybody's like what's much longer but i mean that's still a relatively short period of time uh i I, you know until we start really lengthening out i wouldn't worry too much but we are seeing some of the properties that are overpriced are sitting on the market for really long periods of time I know Lake Monticello, there was one on the market for a couple hundred days. but Yeah, that, but, but that was, that it, was a, it was it was a special situation. It was, and, and we talk about this all the time, right? Uh, location, yeah. price, features, condition, timing, and who's on the other side, who on the other side matters. I, I do hate that one listing, though, just because underwriters will go into the UAD, which is the Fannie Mae system that they have for their... Uh, uh, algorithms in AI and it screws it up and they will ask it never fails why aren't you using this sale it's like well because it's an abnormal sale and we we, we don't need to use it <laughs> currently right now in Lake Monticello 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 17 18 active listings so I'm able in the Paragon to take a look at cash versus 30-year convention and all that kind of great stuff. So I just did Albemarle County, no new construction, single-family detached, just, you know, what was happening in the last 30 days Mm -hmm. on it. Um, So there was 15 that were cash, 21 that were conventional. Um, You ready for this? Yeah. The median sales price on cash was 580. Okay. The median sales price on conventional was 587. So it's actually the loans a little bit. It's pretty darn close. That's That's really close. That's equal. But it's... I expected to see the cash. The delta to be larger. The delta to be larger. He expected the, uh, the cash was, buyers was to have more leverage. That was median? That's median. Average, uh, average is, is way different. The average is 793 for cash versus 691 on finance. Yeah. The outliers are pulling it. Yeah. So that's just a quick, quick look-see on, on, on it on that. Uh, VA and, and there's really – VA was only four – Loans, rural development was only one, and non-specified, which God only knows what that is, was was one. Holly Foster gives us uh, congratulations on show 550. Thank, Thank you, you, Queen of Henrico, for those props right there. Logan Wells, Clelo, hello and welcome to the program. Thank you for watching the show. Stephen Peters, we appreciate your questions here on the program. Woody, this is a good one that's coming in um, for you. Um, Woody mentioned upzoning having little to no impact on this market. Can you expand on why? 
Oh, I think it's going to have an impact, but I think it's going to have an inverse impact from what the politicians are hoping that it'll have. Um, I think it's going to make less uh, th things less affordable because investors are going to see an opportunity to maximize density, and it's all about their revenue streams. If they can increase, you know, uh, as many units as they can on a piece of property, and they're getting a couple thousand, three thousand dollars a unit. Uh, you know, it, it, they'd be crazy not to do it if they're sitting in that position. So, and we've represented, not represented it because we, we don't, I'm not a real estate agent. Uh, I don't buy and sell. But, but we, um, we've had several clients over the last year that are looking at this and they're going in and using non-traditional loan products and even their own cash to go in and, and, and be in a position where they've got property that they can take advantage of the upzoning as soon as it happens. So these other marketplaces, then in the, this is going to be a bell curve. Right, we're gonna. It's gonna get adopted. Things are gonna go, mm -hmm. go higher up, and as inventory increases, right, this is just gonna be a supply and demand thing. Then you're gonna start seeing it dropping down on the other side of it to help that. But that distance between today and when that helps, nobody really knows, right? Because, like uh, the good doctor said, I mean, the one that's been doing this the longest is Minneapolis. It's only a few years. Right, right. So they're not into this for ten years. They're not into this for fifteen years. When you can go ahead and do this, that's why I'm saying that bell curve is probably going to be a generation before it's you know it's going to increase. More inventory is going to help, right? It's just logical, but it, it prices will increase, and then at some point they'll kind of level. Well, demography is telling us already in ten years we're going to see some that bell curve is going to happen. Uh, not for that reason, I think, but but because we're seeing less folks coming into the real estate market in about ten years. You know, the the well, the millennials and I just was reading an article about Gen Zs, mm -hmm. and 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 we haven't been talking about Gen Zs for a while, but they are now starting to come into into the market. They they uh, Jerry, help me with this. They they tagged them Zoomers. That's their. That's what you call them. Gen Z is a Zoomers, and uh, they are starting to come out of college and starting getting ready to move into the uh, into the buying. Well, the young millennials and the Gen Zers, and if you want to hybrid them, they're Zillennials, are choosing to have, to Woody's point, um, kids at a smaller clip or frequency because it's so yeah. expensive and later in age. And the expectation with this is um, a population decline. A lot of folks calling a, a pop population decline on the horizon. So they're calling that A, right? Which is a new generation that, they're, that they've been, been talking about. I think it's called Alpha on it. And Jerry's 100% right. Everything yeah. I've read is all of a sudden there's going to be a decline. So as, but, but that's, like I said, a generation out. 2025, 20, 30 years, something like this. Mm, the demographers I read are saying more like 10. Really? Yeah. Louis uh, Delgado giving Woody Fitchum some props hey, right now. Viewers and listeners, if you have a question, please put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. This is an interesting question um, from North Downtown's finest, Grayson. What's the market look like this time next year, as Jerry put it, around the election? A local market. Yeah, so, so uh, my opinion is I think – there's the continuate the the number of when we look at a trend line, right? We're going to look at the number of sales continue to drop, and the and the values continue to climb. I think you're going to see a cross a crossover on that probably in the beginning of next year. If you would just to lay over the 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 trend of 
volume of sales and the increase in price, I think we're going to cross. We haven't quite crossed yet. We're getting awfully close to it. But I think that's what you're going to start seeing. Volume continue to drop. Prices continue to rise. The question is how much. Um, and uh, this is where the skill level of, of folks at this table matter to help buyers and sellers navigate that. But we're going to start tackling some of that in future shows. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Here's an intriguing question. Is it the market conditions that are going to drive uh, a diminished amount of realtors, or is it the fact that many of them are going to retire? Well, it's all of the above, right? Because it's what's the average age? Uh, from what I understand, I think it's 57. Right. But I may have that wrong. Somebody who's smart can dig into that. But I think the average age is 57. It's, if not 57, it's awfully close to 50 um, on, on that. But, yeah, you're going to see – look, uh, I've got to be somewhat careful because there's a lawsuit going on and, and things have not been settled yet. But I can tell you um, – You want to set the stage for that? Yes. So there are several lawsuits floating, floating around in reference to compensation, mm -hmm. uh, particularly on the buyer side and the seller paying it. There's a couple of companies that have settled. Um, we have to be a little careful because I believe the court, the first court date is on the 16th of, of October on that. I've been tracking this pretty closely, um, also sitting down with the people that know about this way more than I do and having conversations. At the end of the day, as I told Lisa, the way we do business is going to change probably within the next six to 12 months. Um, and that in itself is going to drive a bunch of people out, um, you know, because those of us who have been doing it one way for several decades and have to change. We don't handle change well, and I might end up retiring. Not that I would, but I might end up retiring. Not that I can. <laughs> That's a better choice of words. Um, but it's... Um, it's, uh, it's going to change, and I'm working on a series of shows for that. I don't really want to give too much away on that uh, topic, but it's coming up. So do you want to touch that? Yeah, I, I just have to give the caveat real quick that because I sit on the CAR board, uh, director, uh, board of directors, I can't speak for CAR, and I'm not speaking for CAR. I'm speaking for myself personally. But um, I do lurk in a lot of social media groups for real estate agents because I am a realtor, uh, because I'm, I'm an appraiser member of, of NARM. Um, so, and I'm, I'm really surprised a lot of the, and I'll call it unprofessional commentary that I see out there where folks are complaining about having to do more work now. And it's like, you know, well, the listing agent needed to go out of town and now the buyer's agent are, uh, is complaining because they're covering the listing agent's side of it for the weekend or whatever, or vice versa. And I'm just shocked by that. I mean, there are a lot of folks out there that don't have any work and would gladly take whatever they can get. So, like I said earlier when we were talking to Lisa, I think full-service agency is going to make a very strong comeback. Unpack that. I mean, we've seen over the last several years where limited service agencies been out there where folks are just getting access to the MLS. They're paying a fee for it. Um, they, don't, they don't want representation of any kind. Uh, but what a lot of consumers forget is that, you know, negotiation is really what a, a good realtor is going to do for you in the sense that they understand how to negotiate. You know, I'm seeing things on some of these forums where they don't know how to handle an FHA loan where the appraiser has tagged a few things that have to be repaired in order for the property to qualify to go to closing. You know, the, the roof has less than two years left on it. You know, in that situation, 
the roof has to be replaced. That's requirement by, by FHA. And I'm seeing agents that have never dealt with that, and they're not negotiating in good faith for their client. Not intentionally. They just don't know how to do it. Yeah, so... <laughs> Questions coming in for you, Keith. So are you saying that the buyers are now going to be paying the commission themselves? So nobody knows. That's, that's, that's the problem, right? Because the settlements of the two companies that settled haven't been released yet. This hasn't gone through the full, full, full process. I will tell you, because this is public record, um, NAR, National Association of Realtors, has just said it's okay now to put zero as a compensating amount. Now the individual associations have to adopt that or not adopt that or whatever. So this is very high level topic that I'm working on a series of shows on that to include a series of master classes, which hopefully uh, Woody will join us on how to negotiate. The long and short of it is if you're a buyer's agent at this point in time, you're going to have to now negotiate for your commission. How that looks and how that's going to, is going to take, uh, now is the wrong choice of words. In the near future, I think the thing is, this is not a matter of if, this is a matter of when this is going to happen. Is it going to happen one month, two months, six months, 12 months from now? And this is a bit of a sticky wicket because I do not want to put my dear friend Woody in a bad spot here because uh, he's on the car, car board. But reality is reality, and um, this is coming, and it's coming. And I'm excited about it because that just raises our level of professionalism, and it's part of the reason I'm, I'm excited about real estate. But um, you're going to have to uh, have a conversation with your buyer pretty soon about how you get compensated. And if you're not thinking about that now, you should be. Anything you want to touch on that? You want to go to the next topic? Well, uh, real quickly, I'll just because appraisers have to, that are successful in their markets have to do this, and a lot of I have a lot of colleagues that are really, really good at being appraisers, but maybe aren't so good at the business uh, development end of it. And I think you're going to see a lot of buyers agents kind of transitioning. They're going to have to transition over to how appraisers kind of distinguish ourselves. And you've got to be as a professional that educator for the market. You've got to be able to talk about what your value is to the consumer, and and you've got to be ready to do that in a moment's notice. It's not something that you're going to get a, you know, you get a first impression with something like that, and you're either going to be able to seal the deal with the consumer or you won't. So if you really talk about strong negotiation skills, I think part of being a professional is being able to talk about what we do for a living and, 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 and bring why we add value to the transaction. So, so this whole conversation is extremely layered. Mm. There's multiple moving pieces, and it's extremely difficult to do in a, in a live setting. That's the reason why I'm kind of taking my time on explaining this. But those who are interested, they should keep an eye out, and it's probably not going to be the end of this month, probably the beginning of this month, but I'm working on a series of how, as real estate agents and professionals, we should tackle this in your everyday business. And I'm making phone calls because there are MLSs existing around the country that have seller that allow zero for for buyers. So, so I'm reaching, I'm having meetings with them. Okay, how are you managing this? So I, I really don't want to get too far ahead of myself and too far ahead of the, the topic, but keep an eye out, guys. It, it's coming. Neil Williamson, welcome to the program. We appreciate you watching the show. Neil, Vanessa Parkhill, hello. Logan Wells, Kalelo, hello. Katie Pearl, Sarah Hill Buchansky, hello. Um, Angie Fink, hello. Welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for watching us. Do we hit 8% by year end? Gentlemen? No, I think so for sure. I think it's. I think you're going to see it in the next 30 days. What do you want to touch that? I think that tracks. 
8% by year end. I think so. Uh, I think you're going to see it sooner than that. 8% by year end. What's the impact that has on uh, buyers and sellers? I think it keeps the market moving along the way it's moving along. I mean, folks are still going to need to move and, and to sell and to buy because life happens, uh, which means that, you know, uh, things will keep, I think, just trucking along the way that it is right now. Well, I think it changes. It's already changing our business mm-hmm. on how we're having the conversation at the kitchen table with the seller who has this 2 or 3 or even 4% mortgage, and they have to move, right? They, they have to move. They're being relocated. Uh, God forbid there was a divorce or death, right? They have to move, and they're panicking, and they don't know what to do. And that's where, back to your full service end of it, and, and I think when I may be wrong, and this is just a crystal ball, I think one of the things that are going to be on the table that we don't know about yet because of these lawsuits is dual agency. I Explain that. We see, I'm seeing questions on the feed about Woody having to put a full service, more uh, simplistic terms, and dual agency. Uh, if you can unpack that as well. You go ahead and talk. Um, so getting back to full service, I mean, we're, it's no longer just throwing something on the MLS and it's going to sell tomorrow. I mean, I think you're going to see agents are going to have to evolve into being able to, you know, market the property correctly, deal with uh, both buyers and sellers in a way that, you know, really does – uh, require them to do more work than they're doing. I mean, you know, I've gotten to the point now where it is a shock to me as an appraiser when I go out to look at a, a property under contract that we even have a listing agent even show up and talk to us. So, so let, let me stop you right there. Um, because I've been told by your cohorts not to do that. We own and I do that religiously. It's an unprofessional thing for an appraiser to tell you not to be there. Yeah. I'm sorry. To anybody who does that, I get it. We want to go in there and work and, and do our job. But, you know, part of my – I have to qualify the proper uh, uh, transaction as to whether it's arm's length or non-arm's length. You know, whether or not both parties are acting in their best interest, you know, all that good stuff that Fannie and Freddie and FHA and all of them require us to do. And I can't ascertain that information without a conversation with you. So we just recently did a transaction together, right? You, yeah. You, you were the appraisal on, on a transaction. And what, what Yona and I do, and, and, and a lot of realtors that I know do, um, we talk to the appraiser. Can we meet you there? Is sure. there anything we do with that? We create a book or a binder or an email in your case, because we know each other and we sent it yeah, to yeah. directly. What were the improvements since it last called? Things that you do not know about that mm-hmm. you can't publicly uh, find to, for va- valuation. We provide our own comps. We basically uh, provide the whole information. Does that help or does that not help? It absolutely helps. It's more data. I mean, I'm going to spend 25 minutes to an hour at a piece of property or more, depending on how big it is, uh, you know, doing an, in- an inventory of what I can see. But if there's been any type of infrastructure uh, updating to the property as, you know, maybe the drywall was pulled off and we did new insulation, new wiring, new plumbing, uh, a gut to stud is what we call those. Um, I don't know that just walking through just the property. Just stud. Yeah. <laughs> sure, man. Sure. Absolutely, Keith. Absolutely. Um, I took this right hearing aid out. so that's Absolutely. A, I'll go as far to say you're a dapper gentleman, but I'm not going oh, further than go. that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's super important that the appraiser understands that because every transaction has a history to it. There's a story to it. And, you know, the professionals involved. I need to talk to both the buyers and the seller's agents in these situations because I need to understand the motivation on either side. Yeah. So the real estate agents that are watching this, right, 
and they call a, a, one of your cohort and they say you can't talk to me and you can't meet me there or you can't provide me data, what do they should be telling that appraiser? Well, you got to be careful because everybody does business differently. I can tell you that I believe that it's unprofessional for an, an appraiser to be that you know anti-social. Uh, I mean, I don't know how else the appraiser is going to be able to get the information. You know, I teach for the Appraisal Institute and I, I travel all over the country doing that. And you know, I, every time I'm in front of a room full of real estate, uh, residential appraisers, I'm always telling them, you know, agents are important. I mean, sure, they embellish sometimes. Sure, they're trying to, really? to sell. Yeah, um, nothing beats the the filtered pictures on MLS. But um, Which but you know, is not allowed by the way. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't be. It is not allowed. <laughs> um, but we still see it sometimes. Yeah. But uh, in the end, I mean, who interacts with a consumer more than the agents? I mean, appraisers are there's a firewall between us and the and the consumers most of the time. So I don't know what the buyers and sellers are talking about. You know, if you got a buyer in your car, you're driving them around. You know, they're looking at eight or nine pieces of property. You're listening to them talk about what they want and what they need. I can't ask. I mean, I can run statistics all day. I can trend it all day. But in the end, i got to have causation for any correlation that I get out of the market. And that, that, that's all in context that I get from agents. So, so short, short answer is, is thank you very much. I'm going to meet you at the house anyway with my, my package. Have a nice day. Yeah. If you decide to use it or not, it's up to you. Yeah. Explain how dual agency, Keith Smith. So dual agency is when I, as a listing agent and a buyer's agent, represent both the buyer and the seller. I can, I can tell you, at our little brokerage, we do not do dual agency. We will never do dual agency. Um, the, 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 we do see it in this market. We do see it. We see it a lot. The, yeah. pit, the pitfalls for that for a buyer or a seller is I cannot represent either one fully, right? So if, if Woody is the buyer and Jerry is the seller and Woody tells me, hey, I've got mold in my house, right, or vice versa, then I must tell the other side that. I have to do it anyway because it's then a material defect, but you, you lose the ability to negotiate. And, and actually working on a series of 11 tips on how to negotiate for a, for a for a show, because look, I love to negotiate. Um, it's what we do best in our industry. With dual agency, you've just took out what my best asset is to help you is to negotiate. Um, you buy that, uh, Woody? Absolutely. I mean, you're you're representing a party, and you're you're supposed to advocate for them. So, how do you advocate? For both sides of the transaction, if you work at the same company, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 well, you're, if lawyers can't do it, yeah, it, it's like the quote from The Hobbit. You know, I feel like uh, too little butter spread over too much bread. I mean, there's just not enough of you to go around is for that. Even, is it even possible? Too little butter. Got it. Yeah, too got little it. butter for too it. much I bread. It. Yeah, I heard the other way. I, there's, no, you know, there's never enough butter on a piece of bread. As far as Sarah Hill Buchensky says, if you do dual agency correctly, you are really just managing the paperwork. That's exactly. Yeah. So that's back to that comment about full service, right? People are going to want full service. But how are you going to navigate that when you also now need to negotiate how you're going to get compensated if it really truly goes the path that everybody seems to think it's going to and all the really smart people in the room are going to on it? So um, we we shall see. Um, Look, here's the reality of it. There is an, an... we had a business meeting this time last year, and I told all our agents that we're going to be looking at between a 30 to 40% decrease in volume of sales and revenue. Well, bingo, that's where we're at. 
our meeting that we're having at the end of this month is going to be we're in the middle of a 40-year O shift in our industry, and we're going to plan for it. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to plan for it. Closing thoughts for Woody Fincham at the 1130 marker. Uh, it's always great to be on the show. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, it's great that we were able to get Lisa on. That's that's very cool. Uh, well, I'm working on bringing her in person because that that'll that'll be really super impactful. Well, hopefully, you bring me too because I want. No, I, no, no, I, I, would, I, I would love to uh, to do that. Um, you know, I, I love economics, obviously, and uh, you know, it, it is the dismal science, unfortunately. But you know, it's it's great to hear you know something that's not being filtered through you know rose colored glass, and uh, you know, it's all about giving people good information. So. Um, um, thanks for having me on today. Keith Smith. So I'm going to close quick with this. Judah, would you mind putting li- a slide six on? Um, and I'm going to ask Judah to post this in a Real Talk with Keith Smith. That is um, quarter over quarter from 2019 to 2023. This is third quarter. This is everything from Charlottesville to, to Stanton. So all you got to do is take a look at those bars and see how uh, sales prices are going, and there's only one a jurisdiction that kind of dropped dropped a little bit, but not that much, frankly, uh, which is uh, Nelson County without Wintergreen. It came a little bit lower. Take a look at Buckingham, gentlemen. That actually, we were predicting that that would go down, and it didn't. So I was wrong. Uh, that actually has a substantial jump uh, third quarter of 2022 versus this uh, previous third quarter. So take a look at that. If you're wondering where trends are going, that's where they're going. And we'll see what fourth quarter does to this um, first week of January. RealTalkWithKeithSmith.com, guys. RealTalkWithKeithSmith.com. The shows are archived for those that that are asking. Are you going to put the slides on RealTalkWithKeithSmith.com? If Judah was kind enough to do that, I would would love to do it. We can put the slides up there. RealTalkWithKeithSmith.com. That's the show. Woody Fincham. Fincham Associates, Keith Smith, Yes Realty Partners, agents, thank you for watching the program. Lisa Sturdivant, the guest, the good doctor, the yeah. chief economist of Bright. Just thank a you, Lisa. fantastic resource. Thank you kindly for joining us. I love Siebel Show in 58 minutes. Take care. Hold on, boys. You'll tell us when the uh, mics and cameras are off.